I mentioned earlier Pastor Mike and his family. Thank you for joining us online, those of you that have joined us online. But Pastor Mike and his family are out this week on vacation, as are a number of others with spring break on us. Uh, but in his absence, Pastor Mark Johnson, Mark and Danny came to us last May. They've been here almost a year doing youth and student ministries and uh, doing an incredible job with that. And I know he's going to challenge you this morning with the word that the Lord has given him for this time, for such a time as this. So would you put your hands together and make Pastor Mark welcome this morning as he comes. said, I'm Pastor Mark, um, over the youth ministry. My wife is out in the crowd. But we came last May, and we were excited to come down here. I had gotten laid off at my old church because of COVID. They shut down the youth ministry and the children's ministry. So we started, we said, hey, let's go somewhere else. Um, <clears throat> but we had one thing that we really wanted to see at a church. It was kind of like, you know, we, we understand that not every church is perfect, but there's some disqualifiers when you're looking for a new place. One of the things that we wanted to do is be part of a church that serves, that serves their community, that serves their people, that reaches out outside the walls and does a lot for, for different organizations and has uh, organizations coming in like hugs and other things like that. But it was, it was really a big part of what we wanted to look for and one of the things that we were looking for in a church. Um, and so... You know, that, that is kind of my heart from the beginning, and flash forward until about this year, um, there was something that is a common saying in the church, in church Christians, that I've always nodded my head with and been like, yeah, 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 it makes sense, that makes sense. And then one day it just started to not really, I started to have a problem with it. Anybody ever do that? Like, like yeah, that makes sense. Like, Does it? Does it though? And it's a phrase that I, I, I'm, some people might be guilty of in here. You know, I'm, I've nodded my head with it. I don't know if I ever said it, but I nodded my head with it. So guilty by association, I guess. But um, it's, it's this phrase, and it's inspired what I'm here to talk about today. And I'll get back to it later on. But it's this phrase, I can't serve because I need to get fed. I can't serve in children's ministry because I need to get fed. And that started, started to knock down some dominoes, which ended up to kind of leading to the sermon that I have for you today. Uh, and I, and I'll, I'll get back to that, like I said. But when it comes to serving and service in the church, having a servant's heart, being of a servant mindset, uh, I think there's some misconceptions and some maybe, I would say categorical errors, but like it's not as high on the tier list as maybe it should be. Um, maybe we say, oh, it's, it's kind of down there in the, you know, oh, you should serve and you should pray before eating and you should kind of do a couple things. It's just kind of one of the, one on the list. Uh, this morning, I'm hoping that I put it near the top of everyone's list, uh, because, well, you'll see. I'll let Jesus talk for Jesus. I don't need to put words in his mouth. All right, so. <clears throat> some misconceptions about serving I want to talk about, but first we have to kind of talk about why we serve. Uh, there's a, I, I love history. Um, I love history. I watch history documentaries sometimes for fun. Some of you are like, my, my, uh, student, my students are like, you would just go to history class for fun. Uh, I like history. I, I enjoy it. Um, I love world history, American history. Uh, I've, I've done a lot with different um, genres. I've taken classes in history. And one thing that kind of happened the last couple years is I, I've been watching stuff on YouTube because, you know, it's like, hey, I can just, you know, type in what I want to learn about and go to, or it'll just throw something in your face. And it's like, hey, remember that thing that someone said passing by at uh, McDonald's? Uh, Google heard it, and now they're giving you a suggestion uh, because that's how it works, right? But no, but I, there's, a, there's a channel called Oversimplified, and it's, it's a cute channel, and it just kind of simplifies very bird's eye view of like the Revolutionary War or um, the Revolution of Russia, whatever it would be, and it would give you maybe 20 or 40 minutes. Like you would do World War II in 40 minutes. How many of you know that's a lot to cover in 40 minutes? 
And obviously it's not getting into detail, but what it's, it's trying to do is give you the, the kind of the cliff notes of the word. But what I found is that when you study history kind of in a broad term, the details start to become more important because you know where the story's going. Like, you know, oh, that guy, he showed up again like three years later. Huh, that's pretty cool. So now this event actually matters more to me because I understand the big picture. Versus trying to go through a very, very detailed account of history, and there's 300 pages betwe- between when a, a general takes this, uh, this land and when he serves here, and you're like, I didn't even make the connection. I forgot about him by then. So that's kind of what I, I think sometimes we do in Christianity. When we get real, we get real, we kind of take a microscope and we focus on something very general. Sometimes we forget the big picture. Um, so today I want to kind of bring you the big picture of serving, and hopefully that will help you in understanding some of the smaller pieces. But um, to understand why we serve, we have to understand our purpose, the purpose of the church. Uh, The purpose of the church is not to check off a box. Most of us know that. The purpose of the church is not to wake you up for football. Uh, The purpose of the church is, is not to just say you did it and you did something nice, and now you can be mean when you go to the next restaurant, uh, <clears throat> Christians. But uh, the purpose of the church might be best defined once we understand what the church is. And what the church is, um, Paul alludes to it, Christ talks about it, it is the body of Christ. Christ is the head, the church is the body. Everybody's heard, or most Christians have heard that before in some way. We are the body. Christ is the head. When it comes to that kind of illustration, um, and you really take that and think about it, well, what is the body's purpose? What does our body do? Whatever the head tells it to do, right? I mean, that's essentially the purpose of your body functions as what your brain sends through your nervous system to, to your either your organs or your appendages, whatever it is. It sends it to those, and those react and do what the head commands. Um, and in fact, this could be a whole sermon of itself, but if a part of the body doesn't do what the head uh, says to do, you would call that something like paralysis. That's a huge problem or a disorder or a disease. Once the body starts not doing what it's intended to do, what the signals of the brain start telling it to do, we call that paralysis. When the church body doesn't do what the head, Christ, says to do, we're like, ah, we're just people, it's all right. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, hey, it, it, sometimes we can't take rest, but we should really look at the church when we're not doing what the head is saying we should be doing. And that's why, you know, service, serving was so important to us, because I knew that God has commanded us to serve, and I'll get to that in a minute. But if the church isn't serving, they're not listening to the head, that's a red flag for me. That's a red flag for me. So, I digress. <laughs> uh, here's what Jesus says, though. So, what does the head then command? All right, that's what you have to, if, if the head commands the signals, what does the head command to the body to do? Um, there's a couple instances where Jesus is, is questioned about what the, what the believers should be doing. Um, earlier on in this same uh, book, I'm going to get to John here, but they, 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 a guy pins him down and says, hey, what's the most important commandment? And he's looking for more to the answer than Jesus is going to give him. But he says, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, oh, let's love the Lord. You know, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love one another. The other one is like it. Love one another. Um, love your neighbor as thyself. And so th- those are the great commandments. And Jesus is, is parroting what's in the uh, Ten Commandments. He's talking about kind of what, what God's heart is. But later on in John 13, Jesus actually go ahead, goes, goes ahead and gives a command. He's not citing. He is saying, I give to you a new command. John 13, 34 says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If <laughs> you love one another. I love ifs in the Bible. They're really fun. When you, when you spend some time with it and it's like, if. Sometimes we like to skip the ifs or not, you know, we like to stop and just put dot, dot, dot right before the if happens. And we're like, that's a great word. I love that part. You know, and it's like, well, keep going, see what happens. So, uh, 
you know, do not judge. But then, you know, remove the plank from your own eyes so that you can see clearly to help. Well, I'll, I'll not preach that. So, anyways, um, and then so Jesus commands us, he commands his disciples to love. Well, what does that mean? Okay, so because love, we use love in the English language pretty liberally. It can go for a lot of different things. I always say, you know, there's a difference between I love pizza and I love my wife. Hopefully, there's a difference for you uh, in there. Uh, hopefully, there's a difference between, uh, you know, I love that show and I love my parents or my kids. Hopefully, hopefully there's a difference there. So, but the, the point being, you know, we don't necessarily have a good definition of love. Love covers, <laughs> love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, love covers a multitude of different uh, purposes and uses. So, what is Jesus' example of love? Well, after he gets done saying that, later on, you see him sitting down and washing the feet of the disciples um, and kind of displaying what this love looks like. But right before he does that, he actually says this in Matthew 20. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And then Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life willingly. So in my understanding of what Jesus is trying to communicate, he's saying, hey, serve one another. Give your lives to one another. Give your time, your effort, your life to one another. And that is as I have loved you. Um, and so, and even more so, we could take that to mean the community, but I have a real, I have a case to say that it is very prevalent, he means in the church body. That nobody in the church body should be lacking because we should all be taking care of each other. And that should be a sign to the rest of the world that he is, uh, we are his disciples. So, the purpose of the church then could probably be said to be service, at least in some capacity, a, a high priority in the church that we should be serving, right? So, here's the thing though. <laughs> we tend to maybe be Christians and think that we should serve once a week, maybe once a month, and that, that's kind of good enough, but when we look at what being a Christian is, it's not a part-time gig. Um, Christianity is not just meant for Sundays. Just like marriage, it's not just meant for Thursdays. Just like being a parent is not just meant for Saturdays. We're meant to be a Christian at all times and to be looking for a way to serve and to help uh, each other at all times. And I think that when we look at what Jesus is saying, he's not talking about just a, a small one-time thing, but really live a life that's geared towards service. Um, and so that's, that's as I'm taking it as what Jesus says. But I know sometimes people like to take Jesus' words and hyper-focus on a certain area so they can prove their point, right? Like Jesus, so some of you are like, well, Jesus said a lot of things. He said a whole lot of things. Um, and so you're just taking one thing that Jesus said. And I, I, would, I, I would hope that you were thinking that way and just trying to like, make sure that you're, like, I'm speaking the truth. I, you know, I'm like Paul when he, he's like, hey, those, those guys that are fact-checking me, I love them. You know, it's like, please do that. Please do that for all of us, um, except for Pastor Brent, right? He's, anyways, but uh, so, anyways, so what, what's going on here, though, is, is, is maybe some of you are thinking, you know, well, okay, but how do we know that that's a, that's a priority? Well, let's... When, when a first-hand account is no longer accessible. So if Pastor Mike would say, I need to go to Germany for a year, and hey, I need you guys to continue on my, my vision at this church, uh, bye. And I wouldn't be, you know, he would just leave. So, hey, go guys, you got this. And we're all like, well, what do we do? I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do. We would look to the people that were closest to Pastor Mike to fulfill his vision. We would talk to, to Becca, we talked to Dakota, we talked to Pastor Brent, we talked to some of you who have been here with him for a long time, and we said, what do you think Pastor Mike would think in this situation? What do you think he would do in this situation? If we're trying to maintain the church for, you know, his vision, we would look at the people who are closest to Pastor Mike. Um, if a Christian is Christ-like, someone like Christ, we'd have Mizellians or something like that, right? We're trying to be like Pastor Mike. But... But Jesus had his own group of people that were very close to him. 
And he kind of had a category of different levels of how close they were. You had the, you had the, the bigger group, and then you had the, you get down to the 12, and then you kind of get down to three. Uh, Jesus had the closest disciples. But probably his closest, closest disciple was Peter. Um, I mean, not probably. He really, really was. Peter ends up being the leader of the church as soon as it starts. Um, we have the story of Peter where he denies Christ and then is reconciled back to him where, where Jesus comes back and says, if you love me, feed my sheep. And, and this whole thing goes on. And then Peter witnesses the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter goes from somebody who's terrified to, to even saying, I know the guy, to standing, looking the people who he was afraid of in the eye and saying, no, you killed the Messiah. You need to repent. I mean, he did a 180 after the resurrection because the resurrection changed everything. It changed the game. But Peter completely changed what was going on, and his life was completely wrecked for Christ. So what then did Peter do? I mean, we have some stories of Peter going around and what he's doing in, in events, what he's doing. But what was Peter's general lifestyle? What, what was his lifestyle like? Well, when they tried to get him to uh, finally write down what the heck he saw or have someone write down for him and dictate what he saw. They're like, hey, you witnessed Jesus. We need to get what you saw down on paper so it doesn't die with you. And what was Peter doing? What did they have to rip him away from? He was serving. He was serving widows. He was serving the poor. They couldn't get him to stop serving to come actually write what ends up being part of the New Testament. Because he was too busy serving. So the one who was closest to Jesus for three years watched his ministry. His lifestyle, the reflection that his lifestyle makes is that service is probably the direction that we should be headed in all cases. I mean, he dedicated his life to serving. He was serving so much that they had to literally pull him away from what he was doing just to write down get written down what was in what is now considered the book of Mark. Uh, and so we look at that and we say, okay, so Jesus said, love one another. And then he said, I came to serve. So service is probably somewhat important to Jesus, considering he considers it part of the cross. <laughs> he lays down his life, I came to serve, and then give my life as a ransom to many. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty close to what he's, you know, the most important thing he did. So we should take that as, as a consideration. But then on top of that, his closest person, his lifestyle ends up being a lifestyle of service. So we're thinking, okay, maybe service is a little bit higher on that tier list of the Christian faith. Maybe it's not way down there, you know, in, in, in the C, D tier, but maybe it's up in that A or S tier. Uh, so let's go a little farther, further, farther, further. Let's go a little further and um, talk about how it works from an outside perspective. So we talked about Jesus. We talked about his firsthand witnesses. Let's just take a general view of what service has done in the world. Like I said, I like history. I like ideologies. I like kind of understanding how people work and what happened. But I have, um, when you look at the history of the early church, against all odds, how, ask yourself this, how did a first century cult that just started, they're not, they're not Jews, they're Christian Jews things. They're not, nobody even knows what they really are. They're called the followers of the way. Like, what are these people? These, 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 the sect of Jews in this little cult who get their leader killed pretty quickly, three years, they didn't even get it off the ground very much, and it was, their leader's dead. How the heck did these guys do anything that's relevant? Not to mention they're in probably the worst part of Rome, okay? These guys are like in Oak Cliff, Rome, and they're, and they're a, a weird cult that's talking about drinking blood, talking about eating flesh, like the weird, right? How the heck does this little group of people not only survive, but begin to thrive? How do they start to turn the ship of the giant Roman Empire? How do these people, and not, not only are they weird, not only are they in a bad spot, but they are opposed by both the Jews and the Romans. You weren't allowed to make a new religion, and they were claiming Christ was God. You weren't allowed to have new gods. So they said, hey, you can't, this is illegal. What you're doing is illegal. And so these, 
these guys are rebels, they're outlaws, they're weird, they're in the poor part of town, nobody wants to be there, and yet they don't just survive, they begin to thrive. And in the face of violent, organized, state-funded opposition, they rise to power. Within a few hundred years, they become the state religion of Rome. How does that happen? How? What the heck is this church doing that's bringing in the masses? Well, if you understand Roman culture, you would say, well, they're probably doing something different than what the Romans are doing. Well, in Roman culture, whoever's the strongest wins the argument. Okay? It's like siblings. Whoever's the strongest wins the argument, and that's that. And whoever's the strongest becomes the leader. They might have to off some people to get there, but they'll be the leader. Whatever you do, the, the might is right. The strongest is, is the one in charge. And that is the way that the Roman Empire works. Well, guess what happens if you're not the strongest? Guess what happens if you're unfortunate? Guess what happens if, you're, if your economic class you start off with pretty low? There's not much room for you. And so it's very difficult for anyone that's struggling. If you're a widow, forget about it. Because at that time, you know, women didn't get to go out and work all the time like they can now. And you were, you were just, you were, it was over. You didn't have any income. You had to rely on people's free handouts. And so this, this Roman culture, who they would, they would, they allowed the Romans, if they didn't want their child, to leave their infant out in the wilderness for the gods to decide their fate. I mean, that was, the, that was the Roman Empire. But what were these Christians doing that were so different? They were caring for the poor. They were caring for the sick. They were caring for the unfortunate. They were caring for the people that needed help. What, what is this? What is this thing that they're doing? Well, when they started to realize, hey, that's actually a pretty big group of people, that it might be down on their luck. That might need something. So you're a, you're a, a poor uh, person or you're in a bad place and Rome is like, forget you. And there's a church that's opening its arms and helping you. It's like, I don't really know what, why, but I'm going to start being with these guys. Because they, they seem to care when the government doesn't. Even when the government pretends to care, but they don't. Uh, <laughs> we won't go there. But my point being, the church was service-minded. They were serving the communities, and they were serving each other like crazy. And people were like, what is this? What is this place that if, you're, if, if something suddenly happens in your life and things go to chaos, you have a whole family to help you and to catch you when you fall? That is not Rome. That is the Christian church following the example that Christ has set out. Huh, I want to be part of that. I would contend. That what really set the church apart, obviously the Holy Spirit was influencing all of that. But the service, the servantship of the church, the early church, is what drastically contrasted them with what Rome was. And I think we forget that. I think we're like, we have to have a fog machine. We don't like the drummer. We need more fog. We don't want to see him. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but we need more, we need more stuff. We need, you know, that, that'll get them. But really, the church should be service-minded because people note that. People notice that. I think it's funny when we do the food distribution. It's always, it's always the nice. They're always so not, like, they're so happy. They're just like, oh, thank you so much. God bless you. And, it, and, and they go off. And, and it's not like one or two people. It's like person after person after person after person. They're just so grateful. And we hope that one day that leads them to Jesus Christ. But if you're not serving, if you're not reaching out to the community, I mean, you can still hope that one day they meet Jesus Christ, but you didn't really do anything to get them there. <laughs> so uh, I want us to really consider that maybe service should be in that top S-tier part of our faith. And, and really, it's, it's hard to get around if you read the Bible, especially the New Testament. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 says, and Paul's talking to Timothy, who is his kind of protege, is He's mentoring Timothy. Timothy's a kind of a young guy, and he's starting to start a church, and Paul's the apostle of all these churches. And he's writing to Timothy, who's leading this church, and he says, hey, listen, in, in 1, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, he says, command those who are rich 
All right, and he kind of goes through a couple things, and he says in verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love this scripture. He's saying, hey, listen, those people who have, the haves, Help them understand that the life that they're trying to live isn't really life. And that when they begin to serve, when they begin to give, when they begin to outpour, they start to live the real life that God has intended for us. My wife was talking to me, uh, I think yesterday, about the Beatitudes and how we were talking about how every single one of them, like it promises something, but it's not materialistic. It doesn't seem as if God is really all that interested in material things. He can use material things, but he's not so interested that that be our priority. Um, and so I'm going to keep going here, but uh, I know that Pastor Mike has talked to the church. He's talked to uh, the leadership team, and one of his goals is to have 1,000 active members in the church. Um, and that's a really cool goal. I, I think that's awesome. I love it. 1,000 active members. But when we were talking about that, you know, I had first said, you know, well, usually to have active members, I, I'm not sure what the average number is exactly, but it's probably between 10 and 20% of the church is actually active. If you consider active members, people serving in ministries and stuff like that, not just someone who attends. This, there's different um, categories of what they'll say an active member is just someone that shows up every Sunday. Uh, but most churches usually do. They have to be volunteering or plugged in somewhere in the church to have 1,000 active members. And I was thinking, okay, so the, it seems like the world usually when you have a group like that, 10 to 20% of the people are doing the work. Uh, doing the volunteer work, and the other people are kind of just hanging out, um, participating. And uh, so I was like, you know, I was talking to Devin, and I was like, hey, Pastor Devin, and I was like, hey, uh, you know, we probably need to have 5,000 people or, you know, 10,000 people to have 1,000 active members if you're looking for that amount. But then I had to stop and think during this sermon. I was like, you know what, why, is it, why are we judging ourselves by the secular world standards? Uh, like, that's probably a bad idea. Considering how significant service is, we should be looking at everybody in this room, like, how, hey, how can, I, how can I serve? How can I get involved? Um, because when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's, he's constantly about it. He's saying, hey, first, you're last. Last, you're first. When the disciples are arguing about, hey, I want to sit next to you. I want to be right there. And he says, listen, if you want to be first in my kingdom, you have to be the slave to all. Huh, slave, that's, that's being of service to all people, being humbly submitted to all people. And he's saying that the greatest is the one who's serving the most. Seems like Peter caught on to that. I think Peter was actively trying to get there. I think he was still being a little selfish. And he was like, listen, I want to be number one. I'm going to serve. I'm not even going to, I don't care. Listen, you know, if I'm serving and that stuff doesn't get written down, that limits my uh, competition, and I might get to be number one. No, I don't think Peter did that. Hopefully not. But I'm just saying, so, uh, so we call ourselves Christians, and we should be serving. And, and the whole idea of that concept of a small percentage of the people doing a lot of the service, it does happen in churches all the time. There's always a small sect that gets burnt out, and eventually they quit, and then the rest of the church kind of just, well, they just, they're here. They're here. Uh, and I don't want to see that here. I don't want to see that in the church in America. I'd love to see us be more involved, all of us. And, and the, the, the funny thing is, like, if you have five kids, but you only make one of them clean the rooms, that's not going to go well. Listen, my, my daughter, she must have, like, a, a, a record book. Like, if Jace gets, my son's Jace, if my daughter gets one less M&M than Jace does, you're going to hear about it. It's going to be a problem. That's not fair. Why did he get to stay up two minutes longer than me? Because I, I brushed my teeth faster, and he ran around the house fighting it. You know, why, why is it not fair? I'm, I'm, but you, you see, when you have five kids, you want them all to be actively doing stuff because you know it helps them to grow. It helps them to understand responsibility and stuff like that. But to say, hey, it's okay if four kids come to church and only one of them is actually involved, I don't think that's a good standard for us. And I really think we should push, because we care, to get as many people on board and serving as possible. So when I, I go back to the beginning of the sermon, one of the most common defense or uh, kind of common sayings that I hear 
is I don't serve because I need to get fed. I'm not serving because I'm in a bad place. I'm not serving because I feel like I'm spiritually um, kind of weak or I need something of substance. I'm not serving because, especially on Sunday mornings, I can't serve Sunday mornings because I need to be in the service. I hear it all the time. And here we are in the service. But, so you're all, no, I'm just kidding. But the point being, I think there's some ideas that we feel like we're not getting fed or we need to get fed or the only way we can get fed is to be there on Sunday mornings. That is so far from the truth. In fact, Sunday morning is kind of like a feast, but you shouldn't be only eating one day a week. Okay? So I have a couple, couple things to try to help some people to think about maybe where you might be. But, there's, but before we do, there's, there's, there's a couple different kinds of people that I hear saying this stuff. Okay? And hopefully... You know, you figure out if you're one of them and, and whatever. But usually, and this is the most common one, it's the people that are extraordinarily busy. Not necessarily with church stuff, but they're just busy. And I think that Sunday morning, it, they, they say they want to get fed, but they, re, they really want to do is take a Sabbath. And they don't want to do anything because they're so burnt out from, from taking classes, from uh, going to school. The kids are going to school, uh, adults working, taking care of kids, taking care of maybe uh, a relative. Kind of, you're just burnt out and all you want to do is come on Sunday and chill. And you're just like, I, I, I just need to get fed. I just need to get filled up. I'm so burnt out. But what they really need is not to come to services. What they really need is to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. But the point being... We need rest. And Jesus is clear about it. God was clear about it. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he gave this one that said, hey, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why do you think the God that created all things was still aware enough to say, hey, these people, they can't even make it seven days. They need to rest. God rested. <laughs> if God rested, hello. But I think we try to not rest and we try to fill our stuff up because we got to pay off this and we got to do that and we got to get there and have that stuff. And we never take a Sabbath. And then the one time that we actually come together as a church body, that's the thing we lay at the altar to sacrifice. We say, well, I'm not going to serve now because I'm so tired from doing everything else. And I don't think that's a great idea. Um, I think we really need to consider, you know, our hearts and maybe, okay, I need, to, I need to get out of that other thing I'm doing. I, when I talk about the kids, we always talk about uh, the, the youth and how, like, some of them, I mean, their schedule is booked from the moment they wake to the moment they go to bed. Sometimes they can't even make it to bed. They got to, you know, oh, finally get the homework at 1030 at night because they're so busy. Um, and so, and some, of adult, some of us adults are like that. And we stress ourselves out. And some of us are filling our schedule up because we're, we're trying to avoid dealing with issues. But whatever it is, consider taking a Sabbath at another time so you're ready to come here on Sunday mornings and be part of the body and be ready to serve and be ready to help out people. So uh, the next person, and, and I, uh, what did I say? Uh, not, they're not busy enough with kingdom stuff. And there's other people that they just don't want to do anything. Um, and those people might kind of be in the category of number three as well. Some of these bleed over. But they don't want to do anything. They just don't want to. I want to come and be a spectator, and that's it. And I want to go home. And then I'm going to spectate other things. I don't want to ever be involved. But the point, the point is, I think that they kind of bleed into number three here, is which is the people that just don't know. But if you do find yourself saying, well, I just don't want to do anything, uh, Jesus, <clears throat> yeah, he's going to say something to you, uh, and you're probably not going to like it. Uh, he has a story, a parable of the talents. Go read that. It's fun. Um, but there's a... He gives talents to three different people. He gives a parable of the story of this guy. He gives talents to three different people, and he gives the first guy the most. He gives the second guy a little bit, and then the third guy gets one. And the third guy is like, you know what? The other guys all invest the stuff. They all take what they have been given, and they make it work, and they give more. This other guy, he gets one, and he says, I'm going to bury it. I don't want to do anything with it. He just does it out of fear. But he says, I don't want to do anything about it. I love it. He's afraid that the guy... Is gonna, and this is in, so, so if you want to find this, this is in Matthew 25. Um, but uh, he, he's talking, and, and the guy that's afraid said, I don't want to do anything because I know you would expect me to make a whole bunch of money. And if I lost it, you would have an issue. And the guy's like, and then the, the, the guy comes back. He's like, so you knew I was, I wanted you to make more and you didn't? Uh, but he calls that servant who does nothing with what he's been giving lazy and wicked and sends him off to a place with gnashing of teeth, which we have uh, other words for that. But to consider, you know, 
stepping it up and kind of jumping in and saying, okay, I'm gonna call, if I'm going to call myself a Christian, I should be serving. I should be part of what my, my uh, Christian walk is. And number three is, is those who just don't know. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm trying to help some people who just think, I didn't realize that service was such an important thing to God. I just kind of was thinking there. And then finally, there's the people that are new to the church. Guess what? You get a free pass because you're new to the church and you get to learn and get to grow as a Christian and we all love you. And they have a growth track that they do every week that you should be part of because it's really cool. And my wife actually did it today, so that's a free plug. But anyways, um, and Devin would be really happy if you just came to growth track. So, uh, so those are, those are kind of some of the things that people that, uh, that you might be in one of those or two of those or three of those categories. But when I get to talking about this idea of, um, of not feeling like you're getting fed, I want to kind of talk about some of those things real quick and then, and then we'll be done. So I, need, um, I do need a volunteer and he knows who he is. So Chase, are you ready to come volunteer? I always have to. I was going to do Maddox, but he, he came to the first service because he's cheating. All right, Chase. He doesn't know what he's coming up here for. He's so excited. Good job, Chase. All right. So uh, some of us, uh, we, we feel like we might not be getting fed, and we might think that the only way we can get fed is Sunday mornings, but there's probably underlying reasons why you feel like you're not getting fed. Okay? So I have a couple here, and you're going to help me with the first one, all right? You're going to illustrate what we're talking about here. So some of us might not feel like we're getting fed because we have not chewed what's in our mouth. All right? So you come to Sunday morning. Here, you take this. Hold on to that. You come to Sunday morning, and Pastor Mike knocks it out of the park. I mean, he preaches the best message you ever heard. And he fills your mouth (laughs) with all kinds of different things, and the Holy Spirit moves, and the Holy Spirit's hitting you. So he fills your mouth, Chase, all the way to the top. Go ahead. Just... Just dump it. Just dump it. You can do it. The whole way. Get in there. Smack. Yeah, more, more, more. Uh, okay. Fills your mouth. <laughs> Fills your mouth with stuff. And you're like, praise, say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. And then you, you run it and you're like, this is great, but now I got to go back to work and I don't have time to chew on it. I just got to leave you there. And even if I chew on it a little bit, it's going to take me a while. And then you're like, you know what? It's already Sunday again. Uh, you know, I got I to gotta get some more because I got to get fed. Here you go. Go ahead. So, you, oh, oh, you need to finish your, what you got there. Pastor Mike preached really good, man. You're not, you're not. <laughs> we're, we're here. We're this guy. We're like, I can't, I can't chew anymore, but I'm trying to get more than I wanted. Sometimes <laughs> you can go ahead and get down. You can have the, the dots too. Thank you, Chase. But... <laughs> Sometimes, too, we don't want to chew what God gave us because we don't like it. And we're like, God, give me something else. I don't want to chew on what you told me. And I'm just going to go ahead and let that slide. I don't want that. That, that sounds hard. Give me some, something easy to eat. It's like, you know, those of you who had kids, like you make them a full course meal and they're like, I want mac and cheese. You know. Um, and, so, and so that's kind of what, maybe, maybe we're in that category. But one of the reasons we might struggle to feel like we're getting fed is because our mouths are still full. And we haven't chewed on maybe what God has given us or what Pastor Mike has even talked about. You could take that un, Unstoppable Church series. And you could spend the rest of the year kind of just dissecting that and going through the scriptures if you really wanted to. Uh, there, there's all kinds of stuff. And, and another thing that I'll, I'll, I'll finish this point with this, but God speaking to us Sometimes he speaks to you one time, and that's enough for 15 years. If he gives you a direction, he says, hey, I need you to go start an orphanage in X country. And you're like, well, that sounds like a lot of work. How about, God, how about you tell me that I should start a, uh, <clears throat> a homeless shelter here around home? That sounds easier, right? But, but we realize to do that, to accomplish what God has spoken to us, it's taking us sometimes decades to finish. Sometimes a single utterance of God will last a lifetime. And we need to be aware of that as well. That sometimes it's like, we're like, I need to get fed, I need to get fed, I need to get fed. And sometimes it's like, no, you need to work on what God has given you. And dissect that and really plan that out. Come to church, be part of the body. We all want you here. But come to serve. Maybe you need to serve in certain areas. Maybe God has called some of you to serve. But anyway, so number two, we're going to keep going. Uh, Your diet is poor. 
Some of you might struggle to feel if, if, if uh, you want to get fed, but your diet's poor, meaning you're not taking care of yourself through the week. If you only ate one meal a week, first of all, your stomach would shrink so small, you really wouldn't end up eating all that much. You wouldn't get a lot of the stuff that you might have you been taking care of yourself all week. Have you been exercising? Have you been kind of continuing? Are you still chewing on them? Okay. Uh, have, you, have you been going? And so, and so we, we try to only eat once a week, and then we can barely take in anything, and we feel like we're not getting fed. But in reality, it's because we're not taking care of ourselves. And that's the problem, not the getting fed part. Um, we should be in a devotional. We should be in a small group. If you really want to improve your Christian walk, you should be in those things. You should have accountability. You should have people praying for you. You should be a part of a community. You should be serving. You should be doing these things. Um, because otherwise, you're going to find yourself, first of all, n- malnourished. And your stomach's going to be so small, you're not even going to get much of what Pastor Mike has said on Sundays anyways. But if you're going to a small group and you're talking about a ser- uh, uh, an issue and then Pastor Mike brings it up on Sunday, you're like, dude. You know, you're texting. Hey, he's talking about what we talked about. You know, I have that come sometimes when, when Pastor Mike talks about what we talked in the youth group. I'll get a text message or two from the kids. They're like, hey, he's talking about that. Uh, and it's awesome. So uh, I, I encourage you to take care of yourself outside so your diet's ready to partake uh, when it's time to. So number three, and this one, uh, we'll keep going here. Uh, you're not working in the kingdom. Um, so Paul, when he's talking to the church in Second Thessalonians 3.10, he says something. He says, for even when we were with you, so he's with them, he was with them, now he's writing back to them, uh, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to eat, uh, work, let them not eat. Some of us know that one. We, we were like, hey, that's, that's in the Bible. Wow, that's in the Bible. But let me take that to maybe, maybe a spiritual level just to consider. I'm not saying this is what Paul meant with it, but I'm saying maybe it, it, it translates over. Those who are not working in the kingdom of God should not be eating anyways. Okay, when a, when a country goes to war and they send soldiers out to the front lines, usually the government is very concerned with keeping them fed. The ones who are actually in the trenches, the ones who are doing the work, the ones who are risking their lives. We need to take care of them. And sometimes it's at the expense of the civilian's comfortability. Sometimes it's at the expense of what the, the, the regular civilians, the people hiding behind these front lines, um, their lifestyle gets encroached upon because they're not actively serving. And if the front line falls, it's bad for everybody. But if, this, if the other people maybe, maybe have to ration out some stuff, it's, it's not great, but it's better than the front line falling. You follow me? And sometimes I think we aren't getting fed because we are actually not serving. I'm like, I need to get fed on Sunday. No, you need to go serve. So there's a reason to feed you. Uh, well, I'll leave it there. So number four. Um, number four, and, and this will kind of tie in with all of them. So number four, you don't understand where nutrition actually comes from. Okay. You feel like you're not getting fed because maybe you don't understand what's going on with food. So in, the, in World War II, I like history. In World War II, the British developed new Air Force technology, new radar system that allowed them to basically hunt down Nazi planes at night. Okay? They, these, nobody really flew at night because you couldn't really fight at night because you can't see anything. You know, it's not like now where everything's pretty much just digital. You know, they press a button and the missile just goes off for 25 minutes and chases down the plane. But it, it was, I mean, they had to find them with their eyes and, and dogfight in the air. And so they couldn't find anybody. But all of a sudden, the British started shooting down German planes at night. And, of course, that, that's weird. And the Germans are interested in how this is happening. You know, the Americans are interested. Everybody's interested. Like, hey, what are they doing? And so, of course, they told the newspapers and the, and the uh, writers and everybody else, they said, well, you know what we're doing. We're feeding our pilots carrots. Lots of carrots. Because carrots improve your vision. And that's the, that's the plan. Okay, that's, that's what they call propaganda, by the way. Uh, if you don't know what propaganda is. But it's propaganda. Let's release this information because we don't want to tell them how we're doing it. We don't want to talk about the new radar system because then the Germans are going to be interested in trying to figure out. We're feeding our pilots carrots. And I have to imagine there was at least one German pilot out there that was flying around, you know, chewing on a carrot as he's flying his plane. Like, oh, they really did? But the point being, now we tell our kids, you got to eat carrots. It'll improve your eyesight. Eh, no, it won't. 
don't actually. That's, that's something that the Germans or the, uh, the British made up in World War II. But it's a myth that we just, we like it. Now, yes, carrots have vitamin A. Vitamin A is good for your eyes, uh, eye health. But it doesn't make you see like in x-ray vision or anything like that. Um, so, uh, but there's, there's this myth that, hey, I need to get fed from the pulpit on Sunday morning. And that's the place I can, that's the only place I can get fed. So I can't serve on Sundays. Or I can't help out on Wednesday nights because I need to get fed. And I can't serve. And I don't feel like I'm getting fed unless, here's the truth. Pastor Mike, before he, he preaches, almost all the time, asks for the Holy Spirit to speak through him. Because he's not the one actually providing you the nutrition and, and the growth. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. And there's a reason he prays that, because he knows that. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings subsidence to our life. And the, and the cool thing about the Holy Spirit is it's not bound to the altar. It's not bound to Sunday mornings, and it's not bound to your schedule. If God needs to speak, here's, here's my favorite thing. If God needs to speak with you, he will interrupt whatever you're doing and just tell you. He's no respecters of persons. <laughs> he doesn't care. He's like, oh, you're studying for that test that you have right now? Let me tell you about the missions field and where I want you to go. You know, and it's like, uh, can we do that later? No, no, it's good. Right? Or, you know, where, where's, where's Malachi at? Where's he at? He's somewhere. There he is. You know, Malachi, you're getting ready to get up there. He went to fine arts. Uh, he was there yesterday, and you're about to perform your song. And God's like, you know what? I want you to do, uh, I actually want you to preach to them instead of doing your song. I want you to preach your sermon. I have two minutes, God. Like, come on, you could have told me, right? But, but the point being is, if God needs to speak to us, he uses the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit really brings that change and that substance in our lives. Not, not Pastor Mike. The shepherd can lead the sheep to grass. He can even put the grass in its mouth. But he can't make the nutrients release from the grass into the body of the sheep. And while we're talking about um, the sheep, there's this, the, the, the idea of the shepherd having his flock. Why does a shepherd have a flock? Because the sheep produce. There is no point in being a shepherd and having a flock where the sheep don't produce anything. What's the point? They're pets. Nobody has 100 pet sheep that they just walk around with. Here's my pets. Aren't they cute? But they, they, the reason that shepherds watch over sheep is because they produce. And, and they, they produce wool. They might produce different kinds of things. But, uh, or they, they take care of the grass or whatever it is. But they produce something. They're valuable. Uh, and so anyways... Uh, let, me, let me wrap this up here with Mark 10, and, and, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get going here. But Mark 10 says this. It's, it's, it's Jesus kind of repeating what he said um, earlier, and that's whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So those of you who have been here for a long time or have been part of this church, I hope that you're serving. I know a lot of people here serve. It's one of the things we love about Bethel Temple. But if you feel like you've kind of been how you could serve or, you know, you just... I, I just don't want to, or that it might be. T- it might be too hard. It might be too busy. Let me tell you, if it feels like it's going to be hard, well, first of all, it probably will be. But as as actually, where's Mal- yeah, Malachi? As actually Malachi preached um, at Fine Arts, he talked about where Jeremiah says, Malachi, what does Jeremiah say? For I know. Go ahead, say it. Out. For I know the plans I have for you. Yes, and he had said, listen. Listen, God, he does know the plans that he has for us, but sometimes those plans are hard. Sometimes those plans are difficult, but God does not leave us, and God does not forsake us, and God plans for us to, to, to grow through difficult times. So if you're like, I, I should serve, but I don't want to, I don't want to get too busy, here's the cool thing about God and the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many times where I'm like, oh man, this is going to be tough. And then I come out refreshed. I come out of the, the hardship kind of rejuvenized in my spirit. I'm like, you know what, that was hard, but I feel kind of good that I did it. It's kind of like some of you who work out, and then you, and you're like after, you know, it's like you don't really want to going into it, but you're done, and you're like, I'm so glad I did. Uh, and I think that the Holy Spirit works with us that way. But anyways, one of the ironies of all this, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm making a plug for Sunday mornings, but also for service for all, is that the more people we have serving, the less people actually have to serve. So if we have an influx of 20 people back in the children's ministry. Rusty, you start getting some Wednesday nights off. <laughs> right? But, but there's more people, so now you get to be out here. 
And the more people we have, the more people we can run with, the more breaks we can give. And I know Pastor Brennan's talked about the worship team, like the media team. And, and the more people we have, the more times we can have off. And we work together as a, as a team. So one of the things I think should be on the Christians, the tip of their tongues at all times should be, how can I help? How can I help? That should be something that we say at all times. So you, you walk by, so you walk by Callie this morning, you say, hey, Callie, like, I can't give you this time, but how can I help? Is there any way I can help you? Just something. I want to I reflect Christ in my walk. How can I help? And maybe it's something so tiny and so small and so easy, but it's needed. Um, and I, I just, I really believe that that should be part of, of what's going on. So I have a, um, oh, the last thing. So this is fun. One of the things people love to do is you ask them to serve, and they're like, oh, I need to pray about it. Okay. We, we just read what Jesus said about this stuff. Okay. I promise you, you don't need to pray on whether or not you should serve. Okay? That's like your kids being like, can I clean my room today? You're like, you don't need to ask permission. Just go ahead, honey. You can clean your room every day. Right? Everybody with kids is like, oh, that would be amazing. Okay, so, but you don't need to always ask permission, what do, do, should I serve? Go serve somewhere. That is the heart of Christ. It's the heart of what a Christian uh, Christian character, Christian walk should be. Uh, I really believe in service. Uh, I, I love it, and it, it makes a difference. I mean, we came here because this church served. This, it altered our lives, and you didn't even know us. You know, we saw some of the cardboard uh, t- testimonies. We saw some of that stuff going on. We're like, wow, the church is doing stuff. We want to be part of them. We want to take part of that. Um, and so I'm going to end here with a quote by Mother Teresa. And I know, you know, whatever you think about Mother Teresa, but it's a really good quote that she said, uh, and there's nobody that can deny that she, she served. She did her time, then she did probably like 10 other people's time as well. Uh, and she said this, I want you to just listen to these words and consider yourself. Prayer in action is love, and love in action is service. Try to give unconditionally whatever a person needs in that moment. The point is to do something, however small, and show that you care through your actions by giving your time. We are all God's children, so it is important to share his gifts. Do not worry about why problems exist in this world. Just respond to the people's needs. We feel what we are doing is just a drop in the ocean, but that ocean would be less without that drop. I know sometimes we can get caught up in why something happened. Oh, well, look at these gas prices, right? Why is, what's going on here? Why did they get themselves involved into that? Why did they make those bad decisions? She's talking about it, and I, and I, would, I would say Christ is probably right there with her saying, who cares? Just serve. Find someone that needs something, help. Um, and especially if it's the church body. I mean, one of the things that I always want to see in church is, is body just taking care of one another um, it's a beautiful thing you know seeing the youth group uh, having the youth group back there and seeing one of these guys step up and just and, and intervene in a, in a place without any of us leaders even knowing about it it's so beautiful to see it's like wow it's almost like God intended it to be this way it's beautiful reaching out to one another caring about one another sharing each other's numbers so they can pray for them and, and go through a uh, devotional with them. It's beautiful stuff. So as I, as I close here and, and close in prayer, I just, I want you to consider you know, if you're not serving, um, where can you serve? And if you are serving, I hope I encouraged you and kind of uplifted your spirits. You're like, yeah, you know what? What I'm doing, it is hard. But it's also the work of Christ. And I'm going to do it with a good attitude. I'm going to do it in good faith. I'm going to start getting encouraged uh, to do some more. So I'm going to close in prayer, and then the worship team is going to take it away. God, I thank you for your heart. I thank you for your plans for us as, as a body of believers. I thank you for Bethel Temple and all the outreaches and all the services already done for the community. It's such a beautiful thing. Um, and I pray as, as we move on, we strive to go even deeper. We strive to serve more. We strive to reach out to more people. We strive to look even more like the body of Christ, the image of Christ, the bride. Something irresistible to the outside world. 
when they come home and, and they struggle as they walk in the door with families that, that are just grating against one another, but they find a new family here at Bethel Temple that they say, man, they just, they just love me. They just love me and they just take care of me and they don't really care why I ended up here, but they, they reach out to me. God, I pray that this church, even more so than ever before, starts to starts to grow in its service and starts to take care. As we come out of the COVID era, I pray that we come out swinging. We reach out and we find places where people need help and we intentionally and actively send our forces there to go help the sick, to help the needy, to help the poor, to help the unfortunate, just as you would have, Jesus. Thank you so much. Because once upon a time, we all were that person that needed help. We were all that person that needed grace. We were all that person that needed mercy. And you yourself stepped in to save us. Let us not forget it was an act of service that brought us to salvation. You moved first, and now you ask us to move. We give you all the glory and honor today. In Jesus' name.
of you on this earth. Thank you for all you've done in our lives. We pray for Pastor Mike. We continue to pray for Pastor Mike and his family that they, they remain safe. They get a time of rest and rejuvenation. And when Pastor Mike comes back, he comes back swinging. And he comes back ready to give us a new refreshed word for this body. safe as we leave here and I just thank you thank you for what you've done in Jesus name
Take it.